Hello, this is Matt Linderman. Welcome to the 37 Signals podcast. On this episode, Jason Fried and David Hennemeyer Hansen will be discussing 37 Signals ID, which we just launched recently, and then also a new way of working at 37 Signals, a new team experiment we're trying. But let's start off with 37 Signals ID. Here's Jason explaining single sign-on, which is at the heart of 37 Signals ID. Single sign-on basically means that you have one username and one password for all of our different products. So if your username is Bob Smith and your password is whatever your password is, uh, that will work on Basecamp, High Rise Backpack, and Campfire. So you don't need to have separate usernames and passwords per account anymore, per product or per account. So that's kind of a big benefit for people who previously had to have, you know, if they had three Basecamp accounts and, you know, a few other products, they might have to remember six or seven different logins, which is a real hassle. So 37 Signals ID gets rid of that hassle. Uh, it also lets people move between the different products uh, really quickly without having to log out or log into each one of them. There's just a thin strip at the top of the screen, a black strip, that lists all their different accounts that they have with us. And they can just kind of hover over it, pull a menu down, and select any of the different products they use and just be logged in directly into those products without having to physically go to a login screen each time. And then you also have the, the customer-facing challenge of getting people to change their login. How, how big of an obstacle was that, and, and how did we massage that? Yeah, that was kind of the one downside of, of the whole experience, was that every single customer we had, not just customers of ours, but any users on any other accounts, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they had to uh, create a new username and password. And so we spent a lot of time, spent an awful amount of time, uh, awful lot of time working on the interface for the transition period, which is what we called it. So um, I think it was around December 14th or something like that. I don't remember the exact date. But um, from that point on, whenever someone logged in for the first time to any one of the products, they would be asked to create a new username and password. They'd only have to do this once, but they'd have to go through this transition process for every account that they had. And uh, we went through dozens and dozens of different designs and iterations and, and copywriting tweaks and tons and tons of different variations on uh, this transition screen and this transition process. And in the end, we're very happy with how it worked out. It was uh, very, very smooth, all things considered. And uh, you know, almost everybody now has been transitioned uh, successfully. I was actually surprised by how well it went. I thought that it would be a lot messier. Um, one of the things that we did <clears throat> was we had a, uh, at the bottom of the transition screen, we listed a phone number, an email address, and a link. And the link took you to the kind of the, the marketing page that explained what was going on. The, the email link took you to support, or you can send us an, a message about this if you had a question about it. And the phone number was this hotline that we set up to help people through this process. So we don't normally provide phone support, but we did provide phone support for this particular transition during the two or three week process that it was running. And, uh, I thought we'd be bombarded with calls and we didn't get that many calls. We may have gotten 30, actually probably about 50 calls total over three weeks, which is not bad at all considering there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of users per week that are going through this transition. So all things considered, it was pretty smooth. Here's David talking more about the benefits to single sign on and 37 signals ID. Um, with the 
previous setup with OpenID, we had we knew if you were using the same OpenID across multiple accounts that you were the same person. Those were your login credentials. So if you had three Basecamp accounts, we'd still know it was you. Uh, with the old username and password, there wasn't a shared namespace. We didn't know that. Like there could be, and there probably was, hundreds and hundreds of Bobs in the system. So there was no way of knowing that the Bob using this Basecamp account was also the Bob using this other high-rise account. Now that we know that there's only going to be one Bob and there's only going to be one Bob 49, we can link those two things together. So we can know in high-rise when you're logged in that you also have a Basecamp account. And one of the things we've been throwing around is the ideas of just integrating these products more seamlessly where you can take a workflow from one product to the next. One of the ideas we've been throwing around is the idea of when you wrap up a deal, if you win a deal in Highrise, Highrise has this deal feature where you can track uh, a sales cycle. And at the end of that sales cycle, say you make the sale, you probably want to have a Basecamp account to lock and interact with that project. Well, now that we know um, whether you have a Basecamp account or not, we can provide that link. So you could imagine just having a button on the deal screen in Highrise saying, hey, do you want to start a project for this deal you just won? And boom, there's no setup, there's no um, configuration you have to do in advance. We can just look up, hey, start a, uh, a Basecamp product, project in one of these Basecamps that we know that you have. That's one excellent example of uh, possible integration points. But there's so many more that we haven't even thought of um, that we're really kind of excited to, to start experimenting with. Um, and uh, we're you know getting ideas from customers all the time. And, and I think that for us, this is going to be a big, huge thing. A lot of people have been asking for you know, the products to speak or to talk to one another better and to share information back and forth. And uh, now we finally have the, the, the kind of the fundamentals out of the way so we can do some of these things that we've been thinking about doing for a few years. 37 Signals ID is actually one of the longest projects the company has ever worked on. I asked David if there was anything surprising that happened along the way. I think one of the things that was interesting for us as a company was just the way the project unfolded. When we originally thought about 37ID about, what, a year and a half ago almost now, yep. um, we thought it was going to be a quick thing. Like This is probably one of the like, we few thought weeks. This, yeah, yeah we, like, this is just going to be a few weeks. <clears throat> um, and what we obviously learned that we were terribly wrong, um, that we couldn't just judo our way easily around this. Uh, and what we thought was going to take just a couple of weeks, turned into take uh, more than a year. Um, so I think it was just interesting for us and to, to see that progression and the sort of stuff that we extracted from that. And that's actually, in part, um, some of the lessons we got in the later phase of the 37ID project was what we've turned into this new uh, teamwork structure experiment. And that seemed like a good segue into talking about the new team structure that we're going to be using at 37 Signals. Now, each one of these teams is made up of three people, one designer and two programmers, and then a system administrator can come in and help out if necessary. And each one of these teams will stay together for two months, and then after two months is up, we'll shuffle the teams again and start over again. So here's David explaining how 37 Signals ID led to this experiment. I think the key thing we took away from 37 ID was that some projects and some setups and even sometimes just people uh, don't want to work uh, alone all the time. Like before 37ID, we had a lot of independent man projects 
where somebody would draw up a, a user interface in a single program and would just set down the road to, to implement that uh, without necessarily getting a whole lot of feedback back and forth um, all the time. Like it would more just be like, here's your task, go off and do it. Um, and with 37ID, especially in the later phases of the project, we sort of rediscovered something we knew all along. When we started developing Basecamp, we had this power team of three people. The core development on Basecamp was done by uh, myself, Jason, and Ryan. We were three people working on getting this stuff working. Uh, and that was actually exactly the same unit we used for 37ID. Uh, for a good number of months, we had uh, Jeremy, Jeff, and Ryan working as a three-person unit on this. And I think some of it that just came out of that was just like, hey, this was a pretty good idea. We knew this like five years ago, that this was a good team size, that three people is an excellent unit to, to attack work like this. Um, and we saw it again in 37ID. And after that, it was like, why wouldn't we do this all the time? Like, if this worked so well for Basecamp originally, and it worked really well for getting 37ID to a, a place where we could launch it, why wouldn't we use this all the time for, for everything else? So I think that was sort of what kick-started the thoughts of just changing the general approach to how we work and do less just single man in the woods kind of stuff and uh, more going back to that uh, three-team uh, unit that works so well. But once we got rolling on that idea of the team structure, um, we drew in sort of a lot of other ideas of, of how we were going to change it. Uh, Jason had this great idea from, uh, from Scott about how to reset um, project scopes because one of the problems sometimes if you get a big team together and you don't have a very stringent definition of how long that's going to run is that these things can run for a very long time um, and what we wanted to get away from was essentially the 37 id type setups uh, if we were going to do 37 id all over again we would have preferred to do it in in smaller chunks those smaller chunks might not have been releasable but um just working with some idea of a deadline, some idea of scoped work uh, was a really, really good idea. And, well, obviously, I mean, it's not like we invented the idea of uh, the deadline, um, but we had to rediscover it. And I think that's what's interesting, not only about some of these uh, simple ideas like a deadline, but sometimes you just have to rediscover things you already know. For us, rediscovering that three people on a team is it's a really good idea. And we knew this all along, but you have a tendency sometimes just to forget key and core lessons that um, you might have been with at, at some point, but for whatever reason, it just drifts off and it just doesn't seem to be the focus anymore and you, you, don't, uh, you don't follow it. So uh, this idea of, of the reset, though, uh, I think, Jason, if you want to talk about how Scott has this uh, idea over at uh, Meetup. Yeah, so a few, uh, I don't know, maybe this was a, a, over a year ago, I don't remember the exact date, but I was um, having lunch with Scott Heiferman from Meetup, and Meet, uh, Meetup is, uh, most people know what Meetup is, so I don't need to go into it. Uh, I met Scott a long time ago, uh, and uh, we kind of keep in touch and shoot business ideas off one another every once in a while, and he was telling me about this new method of working that they came up with at one point, where um, they realized that before this new method of working, they were basically kind of the management was kind of coming up with projects and just feeding them to people, and people would do them. And that's kind of sort of how we work right now, or we used to work. And they realized that one day maybe they should just bring everyone into a room. So they brought all their development teams into a room, developers and designers into a room. This is in New York, and 
they said, why don't you guys come up with what you want to do? Why don't you guys self-organize into teams and come up with your own projects? Maybe you'll do a better job than we will. And the management left the room. They locked the door pretty much, left the room for eight hours. I think it was something like this. And I might be telling the story a little bit wrong, so sorry, Scott, if I'm getting this wrong a bit. But uh, and basically, at the end of the day, management came back. The teams had self-organized, and uh, they came up with things that they wanted to work on. So they pitched management on their ideas. And management pretty much said, you know, go for it. Go build what you want to do. And they found the next few months for them was like the most productive time that they'd had in a long time in the business. A lot of really great stuff got done, and they kept continuing to do this sort of reform teams, have the teams pitch the ideas to management, and then management would pretty much okay them or, or shoot them down if they weren't any good. But at least they let the ideas bubble up from below instead of from top down. And I really thought that, that was interesting. A couple things about it. The, the self-forming teams idea was interesting. Um, we have a much smaller group, so we don't really have many ways to form our teams. There's only a few different ways. But um, I like the idea that at a certain point in time, the teams had to split up. So it wasn't this thing where you would get stuck with this long one-year project. For example, the way we're doing it, the longest term for us is two months. That's Every team stays together for two months. After that, they split. No questions asked. That's just how it's going to work. And inside those two months, there are actually four two-week periods. And those two-week periods are when people actually work on different projects. So projects can only really go for two weeks at a time. So there's these, these deadlines that force people to make smarter decisions to cut stuff out to keep the scope tight, and uh, then at the end of the two months, uh, the teams break up and new teams get together, and so you get a chance to work with other people. So the idea, you know, the genesis of the idea came from Scott Hype from Minute Meetup, and we've made some modifications, and we're uh, pretty excited to see how it all works out. We're still on the uh, first iteration, so we're still on the first two weeks, and the first iteration actually ends on, on Friday. Uh, and the idea is the teams took on a, a number of things on their plate, and stuff's got to ship on Friday. Um, and that was the, the general um, sense going into this, that we would pick these plates of work, uh, either a single project to work on, which is what one of the teams we have, Team Bravo, is working on actually, I guess we could just announce that here, uh, sure. revamping our forums. So we've been using a, a forum system for a while that we didn't necessarily feel was a good fit for what we were actually seeing the usage of the forum being, which was more about questions and answers. So the one team is working on basically uh, a new setup for that um, and with the intention that we're going to be uh, done with something, the first version of that to be done on, uh, on Friday for a launch. We'll see if that happens or not. Uh, we're still trying it out. And the other team is working on a bunch of uh, improvements for, for high-rise. So we're still in the, in the first phase and, and the setup otherwise is like you have these two-week iterations, and you have uh, four of these in one term. And every week, every Monday, we do sort of a stand-up meeting, um, which is basically just a quick call where we talk about what are we getting done for the week, are we still on target, um, so on and so forth. Um, but uh, everybody still seems to be pretty excited. But, uh, I mean, you're going to be excited about anything, even if it's the worst idea in the world uh, in the first week. So uh, the more uh, pressing test is uh, whether people are still excited about this two months in. And is there any worry about letting people decide for themselves what to work on when, you know, there might be more pressing business matters to resolve, whereas, the, you know, it might not be as exciting a project to work on? How do you reconcile those sort of issues? 
Yeah, sort of the way we're doing it is we kind of have a list. When I say we, I mean, we is ultimately everybody, but uh, David, myself, and, and Ryan are kind of putting together sort of lists of sort of top requests and top features and things we think the products need and some vision kind of stuff, um, which we present to the teams when they get to choose what they want to work on. And uh, we encourage them to choose some of those items, but they're free to choose whatever they like, ultimately. And uh, like David just said, one of the teams, um, so one of the teams did choose stuff from the list, which is high-rise stuff. Uh, and the other team said, no, we want to do something that's totally not on the radar, that's not on the list. Uh, here's what our idea is. And they had a good formed idea for it and made a good pitch for it. And we said, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go ahead and do it. So. I mean, there's definitely some things, if something needs truly needs to get done, uh, that's another story. But I think a lot of things, you know, we're only doing these two-week iterations at a time. So it's not, like, it would be, I think, a bad call for management, if we want to use that word, to say, no, you must do this right now because in the next two weeks this is incredibly important. There are very, very few things that require immediate handling. Um, so if a team is more excited about this other idea that they have, and it's you know a legitimate idea, then I think we'd prefer to let them have it. We also have this idea uh, of the Slack team, which is this spare team, which is uh, currently myself, David, and Ryan, and uh, Josh Peak, <clears throat> um, who can kind of work on any project that's kind of needs to get done. So if there is something urgent that needs to get done, or there's some bugs, or there's a couple other you know spare ideas, uh, the Slack team can take that on. Uh, which leaves the other teams freed up to really do the stuff that they want to do. And I know when we announced it uh, at Signal versus Noise, there was a few different comments about, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens down the road? And Jason, you responded with something along the lines of, we don't worry about things that may or may not happen down the road. Um, I'm wondering if you had more to more to say about that when people kind of bring up all these potential issues that might might arise and how that that attitude can stop people from taking chances. Yeah, I, I think uh, we saw some. Actually, let me go back to the thread. Uh, we we heard some people say things like, um, "Well, you know, how do you maintain quality? How do you leave enough time for quality assurance? Uh, what if there's major bugs and all these things?" And those are totally fair questions. And the answer is, we don't really know yet necessarily. We have some ideas. I mean, hopefully, the things we're doing are small enough since they're only two weeks at a time that there aren't huge, massive bugs. So if there is something that's really broken, you know, it might require one more day from the team to eat out from the next, you know, the next uh, two-week period. I mean, we hope that's not the case, but it realistically could be the case. And if that's the case, then that's the case. And if we see that repeatedly over and over and over, you know, maybe maybe what we do is we set it up where uh, it's a two-week process and there's like another two days of Q&A. So we don't get, we don't get four uh, iterations in a two-month period. We get three iterations in. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure what it's going to be, but who cares? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Why spend even a second thinking about it? I think you know people think um, sometimes that it's worth thinking about these things. If you don't think about it, you're not going to be prepared. I think it's a huge waste of time to think about anything that doesn't really matter. You shouldn't think about anything that doesn't matter. There's plenty of stuff you have to spend your time on that that does matter. Uh, and so we'll find out what happens if this is a problem. And if it is, then we'll deal with it then. But to spend any time up front is just a complete waste of time and, and takes, uh, takes the focus off what really matters. And I think the key there is also, like, how is it going to be every diff any different? So what if we decided up front that, oh, this is going to be a problem. We might better add two days of Q&A at the end. How would we be better off? Like, how would we be better off designing this in advance before we knew it was going to be a problem? There's no sort of penalty to deciding late. 
And I think this is where actually a lot of uh, software projects go wrong, is when they can't recognize when something is going to be costly to change later and when something is going to be free. And I think a lot of this comes from sort of other metaphors that people use for software development, like building a house. Obviously, when you're building a house, I mean, having a pretty good idea of how the whole house is going to look when you pour the foundation, pretty important. I mean, you can't really change the foundation cheaply after the fact if you get another good idea. Changing how these teams are put together or how the workflow is going to be, it's absolutely free for us to change it later. There's no cost. Um, there's only benefit, the benefit of actually knowing what the problem is going to be. So just jumping back and forth between these modes of thinking is really helpful to do that explicitly. Just recognize, like, is this a situation, is this a decision that's going to cost us more if we made it later? If not, it's not worth thinking about right now. And that'll do it for this episode of the 37 Signals podcast. Uh, you can go to 37signals.com slash podcasts. There we post a summary of each episode as well as related links. So if you want to learn more about, say, 37 Signals ID or the new team work structure experiment that we're doing at 37 Signals, you can go there and find links to that. Thanks for listening. Bye.